glass, I'm pretty and Welcome to Season 4 of the Barfly Podcast. My name is Jeff Berger, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars and its sequel, Parole Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Blum, editor of the online entertainment hub, The Marine Dish. So sit back and enjoy our little peek behind the hospitality industry crew. Oh, and don't forget to... Have a drink on me. Welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. We are delighted to have Chef Jameer Gray on the program today. Uh, Jameer is the executive chef at Compline, one of downtown Napa's most hopping popular restaurants and wine shops. She's a Vallejo native and has had a very exciting culinary career. She's worked at restaurants in Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and then a few years back, she returned to the Bay Area, where she quickly made a name for herself in wine country. So welcome, Jameer. Hello, how are you? Doing all right, doing all right. We're happy to have you on. Let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about your earliest influences. Like I read somewhere that you knew that you wanted to be a chef as early as elementary school. Is this true? (laughs) It is actually. So out of me and my sisters, I was always the one who would cook with our parents, especially during the holidays. I was also in elementary school, the one who was always very artistic. I was lucky. Luckily, I had really great teachers who try to foster that and they would actually buy me art supplies and whatnot. I remember in the fifth grade, I actually read a magazine that talked about Jacques Torret and how he was a culinary artist. I literally remember making the connection, culinary, cooking. I like cooking, artist. I'm good at art. I should be a chef. (laughs) It all came together. (laughs) Yeah, it all came together. And like I literally, ever since the fifth grade, I pretty much have been hell-bent on this path. It's been been going great. (laughs) You, I believe, studied at Davis and studies over at the CIA. I really wanted to go to the CIA in Hyde Park straight out of high school, but unfortunately 9-11 happened my senior year of high school, and my parents were like, you are going nowhere near New York. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, Davis, not bad, you know, don't regret it. Not a bad second choice. No, not a bad second choice. It was a great experience there. And just seeing how much UC Davis affects this industry. I, it's definitely um, a little bragging point. Like, yeah, I'm in this industry now. I also went to UC Davis. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, can you tell us a bit about a, some of like your first few jobs out of school? Some of the experiences that helped maybe mold your style of cooking? And After I got out of... Um, culinary school actually came back to the Bay Area. Um, I spent a couple of years at One Market under Mark Doman, amazing chef. They're about to hit a very large milestone in their um, the restaurant. I believe they're hitting 30 years coming up next year. I also spent some time uh, at other places in San Francisco, Salt House, rest in peace or not allowed. They didn't make it through COVID. And then I was actually part of the Kimpton Hotel and Restaurant Group. And they were kind of the one who started me off my culinary journey around the United States because I would move to a kitchen in Chicago or a kitchen in Philly. It was definitely, they didn't force me or anything. It was me knowing that I wanted to check out these other major food cities. And they just kind of help me get to where I needed to go. And so your focus on food is unusual, to say the least. So what, what are some of the uh, influences that led you to pursue the, the type of food that you're making nowadays? big part of it has to do personally with me with education. And it's not education in the traditional sense. When I moved to these other food cities like Chicago and Philly and D.C. and whatnot, 
I quickly learned that not everybody knows about the food in other food cities. Like when I moved to Chicago, nobody had heard of Dungeness Crab. They hadn't heard of a Louis salad. And I was just shocked when I was in DC, nobody knew what pozole was. Mm -hmm. So if anything, me going to these other food cities, I was able to introduce my crew, my staff, my team to foods from the other cities I had worked in, including definitely the Bay Area. And when I came back to the Bay Area, I took what I learned from those other food cities, because there's a lot of things in the other, other food cities that we don't have here. And I definitely have sprinkled it onto the menu. And so it's always makes for a great talking point because people are like, wow, what, what is this? Where did this come from? What's a Tarama Salada? It's like, actually, it's a really common thing in DC where there's a huge Greek population. There's not a huge Greek population here. So you're not going to really see it around, but an amazing Metze dish and people loved it. So from there, when I, that was actually one of the first things I did. I realized it kind of clicked that, huh, let me keep on introducing the Napa population, the Bay Area population to these dishes that they might not be able to get anywhere else in the Bay Area because it's just, it's not very common and it's been working. People think of American food as uh, specific to their region, not realizing that, you know, there's Southern re- cuisine, there's Northern cuisine yep. and they get confused. Like I, I lament the fact that if you go to quote unquote, an American restaurant around here, you very rarely get any kind of Southern dish. Exactly. You won't see fried green tomatoes. You won't see those types of things. And then the other side of that is, you know, with the emphasis on, on local, a lot of times everybody's kind of doing the same thing Mm -hmm. because the local produce is what the local produce is. It's interesting to look at your menu and see how you've mixed that up a little bit where you do uh, uh, local items, but you add kind of a pizzazz that's a little bit out of, of the norm for this area. I like doing that because it's true. Everything's become a little bit homogenous, um, especially in the realm of American cuisine. I mean, I know right now with it being the beginning of tomato season, if you go to about 90% of the restaurants in the Bay Area, everybody's going to have a tomato salad mm-hmm. with some sort of cheese component. Right. That's not me. You're not going to find that on my menu. But I'm definitely going to give you some great local tomatoes but do something a little bit different with it. So like last year we did, I did a tomato, heirloom tomato salad with like a basil seed vinaigrette and pink peppercorn twill. And it went off really well. And we're doing something similar along those lines this year with a tomato salad, but with sea beans and the banyols vinaigrette. And people are like, oh, what's banyols? And it becomes another story that I, that the front of the house staff can tell to the guests because a lot of people don't know what banyols is. And it's like, actually it's a wine. And what's a sea bean? And exactly, what's a sea bean? Like all no, seriously, what is a sea bean? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually this little green vegetable that um, is super salty. People think it's a seaweed. It's not a seaweed. Um, It just kind of grows along the coast. But if you were to just pick it up and eat it, it soup. The salinity is just intense. And because of that, we actually it's actually a rule, kind of a rule in the culinary industry. If you ever have tomatoes, you have to put salt on it. But we don't in this tomato salad because the sea beans are so salty. They look cool. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people don't know what sea beans are. (laughs) And they definitely look cool. So I like putting things like that on the menu because a lot of people don't know about it. And you know what? It is local because we're getting the sea beans from Wine Forest, Connie Green, and they're picking them off Mendocino Coast. It's that kind of notion that 
because it's outside of our, our culinary experience, we don't know how to use it mm-hmm. that way. Right. And you think of things like, you know, uh, basil or things of that nature, which seem common enough, but you can use them in ice cream. Oh, yeah. Or if you have a typical American food background, that would never occur to you to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And I definitely take a delight in introducing people to ingredients that they may be familiar with, but one didn't know it was actually local. Like a lot of people don't know that passion fruit grows in Napa. Like they they think it just comes from like Hawaii or something. It's like no, passion fruit grows in Napa, kiwi grows over in the over in Fairfield too soon. I like introducing people to ingredients that they may be familiar with, but didn't know that one grow right in their backyard, or they didn't know that they could do certain things with it because then it makes them want to go home and recreate it. And I feel like that educational aspect of Dining is so important because you're actually leaving with something besides, you know, a full belly. Although that's nice too, right? (laughs) You guys offer a lot of unique wine experiences at at Compline. Everything from like uh, wine tours of, uh, you know, actually in-house wine tours uh, like Champagne or regions of Italy and things like that. How do you guys come up with the regions that you're going to target? How do you work with the wine director to, you know, pair your food with specific menus? Luckily for me, the owners, Ryan Stettons and Matt Stamps, they pretty much have given me like free reign. On the menu, like my only rules are I can't get rid of the duck fat fries. <laughs> They're like way too popular. I understand. I concede. It's fine. And that it can't be, nothing can be too spicy because the spice will just fight with the wine. And I totally understand that too. So it's kind of nice because I, I get to do what I want. But I know when it comes to the wine list, which is actually kind of funny, we're kind of known for being this w- restaurant wine shop in Napa that doesn't have a lot of Napa wine. If you came to the wine shop, the wine sh- the wine shelf for Napa, there's like maybe 12 there and there's like hundreds of other ones. But um, there's a reason for that. Basically, the idea is you're in Napa Valley already. So if you want something from Napa Valley, go get it. Like <laughs> go straight to the winery and get it. Matt and Ryan are definitely um, very passionate about trying other wines from other countries. They try dozens of wines every single week and the ones that they love they'll put on the wine list they'll put in the wine shop and they basically have done the legwork for you Mm -hmm. so they know that hey this Riesling that's coming from Germany guess what you don't have to try all the other Rieslings this one is the one you want this is going to be the most food food friendly this is going to be the one you want to just drink after a day at work it's kind of nice because I know that if I want something I can just be like I'd like a rosé that's like friendly having some friends coming over they're like this one this is the one mm-hmm. so we, we take a lot of the guessing out of um shopping at a wine shop for people because yeah. it can it can be daunting especially people visiting napa valley like you said literally if you want something from napa go anywhere yeah. else right <laughs> i mean literally exactly I mean, so that makes a lot of sense and and so that the the clientele that you're catering to are they more local or is it a, a good mix of tourists or or what exactly is your target demographic? We actually have a very strong local following. We were lucky enough to have such a strong following that during the pandemic, we actually never fully closed because they kept us alive with all their, their to-go orders. That demographic is definitely strong, but we do still get a lot of the tourists, especially the ones who are 
starting to go out more, starting to go visit other places. They're like, they're getting on that plane. So they like come in, they've done their Google research and we cater to everybody the same. We want everybody to have a great experience, whether you're a local or you're coming from the East Coast. We love meeting everybody. What are some of your favorite places to dine or sip when you're not working? That is a hard one. Who do you think is making some of like the most interesting food right now in your neck of the woods? I'm loving how Napa is so focused on the mom and pop restaurant. There's a lot of heavy hitters that have been out here for decades, but I'm really loving this one little place called Contimo. So they're not like a, you know, white tablecloth dining or anything like that. They make sandwiches, but everything's made in-house. So great. They're very popular. The mortadella pimento cheese is definitely my jam. Really also loving places like Enotri, popular. Everybody knows them. Cocktail program is great. Love wine, but I also love cocktails. Bless you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just, I, I love supporting everybody. Like me, to me, a lot of people feel like Napa is an island. And they don't want to leave it. But if I hear of something in San Francisco, I have no problems driving to San Francisco for the day, having lunch there, and coming back. And in some ways, I kind of miss it. The cuisine in Napa is a little limited when it comes to, like, other cuisines. And I would have to leave the city to do that, to go get that. But definitely places like Timo, Inotri, places that I frequent, and Up Valley, Bistro Don Giovanni's. I mean, everybody knows that place. It's just very, it's very comfortable. And when I'm not working, I like to be comfortable. So you guys are getting ready to open up a a new place. We are. uh, We're actually coming up on our fifth anniversary of being a restaurant wine bar. And it's going to kind of work out with the opening of the new wine bar. It's going to be opening in October of this year. What can you tell us about it? It's going to be really just focused on the wine experience The whole shop will be cellar temperature. There's going to be 800 different types of wines from all over the world. It'll have a tasting room, tasting flight. We just started this. We just started a wine club where um, locals, $79 for two wines each month. If if you live somewhere else, if you fall in love and you live somewhere else, it's actually $99 for the month, which is really not bad for a wine club. And we'll be doing a lot of the focus on the wine clubs and the pickups and the classes coming out of the new wine shop. And then here, I guess we would be the flagship here at Compline. And we'll still have the focus on the wine, but a lot of the educational aspects that we used to hold here will be held at the new wine shop. I love the fact that the the wine shop's going to be cellar temperature. You know, it just dawned on me how many times I go to, uh, I I can't even think of a wine shop that's cellar Mm -hmm. temperature now that I think about it. And you think that's such a basic requirement that of course, you know, I might, one of my pet peeves is, you know, you go to the grocery store, the most expensive wine is standing straight up on the top shelf under a light. And you think, well, I am not buying that wine, right? They've thought of everything for this. They're still, everything is uh, kind of still at the studs right now, but um, I can't wait to see how it all pans out. So what's the name of the new wine shop going to be? Compline Wine Shop. <laughs> yeah, they, they, there's no like fancy name or anything like that. So we're Compline Restaurant and Wine Shop over there. It's just going to be Compline Wine Shop, the actual wine shop. I do have to say, and I told Kevin this beforehand, uh, Compline alone was intriguing enough for me because uh, as a cocktail mm-hmm. person, Vespers is the is one of the most important drinks in the in the cocktail lit- liturgy. And of course, Vespers is the hour before Compline, <laughs> yeah. right? 
So it was just like, wow, I've never seen that as a restaurant name. It drew me in right away. (laughs) The name Complin is just hilarious in general because nobody knows how to pronounce it. Well, that's exciting. Well, we're uh, very excited for you and uh, hopefully get you back on when the the new uh, restaurant or wine bar opens up. Uh, You said October, right? October. Yep. Knock on wood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure everything will go great, but yes, knock on wood. Just one final random question in terms of like education and sharing your experiences with other chefs. What advice would you give to like an aspiring chef right now? Like somebody who wanted to do there's some, let's say somebody who's in fifth grade reading a magazine and puts two and two together and realizes, you know, arts and food. What kind of advice would you give them if they wanted to go on that journey? A lot of people come into this industry with a food network idea of being a chef. And then when they get introduced to the actual world of being a chef, it's a rude awakening. A lot of people back out because they realize, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of work behind this. But I feel as if if you this is something that you really want to do and you're really passionate about it, you just have to stick it out. I mean, there's no there's no fast lane in this industry. I mean, I'm 38. Because I knew what I wanted to do at a very early age, the second I could get a job, I started working in restaurants. So luckily I had that, but a lot of people don't get there um, like I did. So I would just say, stick it out. Just remember that it's not about you. It's about the team. And from there, everything should be right as right. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time when we welcome Mimi Toll and Nikki Wood the new local getaways magazine my name is jeff burkhardt thanks for listening